Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, the issues in the elections, a Senate election in Maine, ranked choice voting, how it works, what it can do. Our guest is Lisa Savage. Longtime educator from Solon, Maine, currently running for United States Senate. In a life dedicated to public service, Lisa Savage has worked to make Maine and the United States more equitable, more peaceful, and more aware of the looming climate crisis. Lisa Savage, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for everything you've been doing uh, for many, many years for peace and justice. And thanks for running for U.S. Senate. Uh, Let's start with ranked choice voting, because it seems like a very simple concept, but people seem to struggle with it. Uh, How does it work? Yeah. Well, frankly, I wouldn't be running if it weren't for ranked choice voting, um, because it gives us a real shot as a third party or independent candidate. Um, The way it works is pretty simple. Sometimes it makes more sense to think of it as instant runoff voting. But in any case, uh, there are four of us on the U.S. Senate ballot in Maine this time. There's the incumbent, Susan Collins, the Democrats nominated Sarah Gideon, there's myself, and there's another independent, Max Lynn. So when voters go into the voting booth, they will see our names, and they will have a sort of like a bubble chart, like as if you're taking a standardized test. They can rank one of us first, one of us second, one of us third, and one of us fourth. They could also just rank one of us first and be done. Uh, It won't invalidate their ballot to do that. Then, when the counting happens in the first round, if any candidate receives a majority of votes, that is 50% plus one vote, the election is over and we do not go into the instant runoff phase. However, if no one reaches the 50% mark, the uh, candidate who received the fewest number of votes is stricken off. They have lost the election. And we look at people that chose that candidate first. Who did they choose second? And those votes are transferred to the other candidate. Now, does anybody have a majority? If the answer is yes, election over. If the answer is still no, the uh, third ranking candidate is crossed off the list and their number two votes are redistributed. So uh, we saw this happen in the upset when incumbent Bruce Poliquin lost his seat to Democrat Jared Golden in Maine's 2nd District in 2018. So there's some precedent for Um, its effectiveness in unseating an unpopular incumbent. The main GOP hates ranked choice voting and is in court right now trying to keep it from being used in our presidential voting this year. But this main Senate race law was passed long before the one about uh, it applying to the presidential elections. So we are sure of having it uh, in November. Also, an, an interesting thing is that many, many people in Maine and elsewhere have requested absentee ballots because of the pandemic and fears of voting in person. So actually many people will start using their ranked choice voting ballots um, in October rather than waiting until November 3rd to do that. Uh, extremely well explained. You should be a U.S. senator or something, I think. that the, uh, There are, I think, four states around the country that have a chance this election to vote, to have ranked choice voting uh, in future elections, uh, and many other states uh, working on getting to that point. So this may be something that people have to become familiar with, uh, you know, outside of Maine. Um, but, it, it, but are you finding that people in Maine 
not only understand what you just explained, but are able to live with it. Because it seems to me that that most people who vote in the United States don't really do lesser evil voting as a cool calculation, but pick pick the slightly less evil candidate and then believe that part of the voting process includes devoting their soul to that candidate and only learning positive things about that candidate and only sharing positive things about that candidate. Uh, are, are people struggling with the idea that they can vote for someone as second rank without, uh, without hurting them in any way? Well, a lot of people worked very hard to get ranked choice voting in Maine. We had it on our referendum ballot twice. We voted, uh, majority voted for it twice. But it, we're still finding many, many people who weren't involved and haven't paid a bunch of attention are a little confused about how it works. Um, we still have people tell us that we're hurting the chances of unseating Susan Collins. But when we politely say, you know, do you understand how ranked choice voting works? And we point out that someone who ranks me first is very unlikely to rank Susan Collins second. And someone who ranks the Democrat first is very unlikely to rank Susan Collins second. They start to understand why a strong progressive in the race actually increases the chance that we can unseat an unpopular conservative incumbent. Um, but, you know, I've been an educator for many years, as you noted. Uh, research shows that on average people need seven exposures to a totally new idea in order to grasp it. So seven exposures is a lot. My campaign has uh, produced uh, many educational pieces in different modes. Again, as an educator, some people need to hear it from a person who's looking them in the eye. Some people would learn better through graphics or a visual representation. Um, our campaign has been running a series of educational webinars on issues of the day, and those are linked on our uh, website, lisafermain.org, under events. And um, there's a recording of the Ranked Choice Voting webinar, which was particularly excellent, if I do say so myself. I was only the moderator, but we had three subject matter experts, including our campaign manager, Chris Kerr, who worked on both the Ranked Choice Voting successful referendum campaigns previously. We also had Bree Kidman, who was a, a candidate in the Democratic primary that uh, did not win that primary and then endorsed us, saying Lisa is the candidate with the platform closest to mine, you know, true progressive. And we also had uh, Liz Popolo from Massachusetts because they have it on their referendum ballot this year. And she talked about not only uh, the effort in that state but across the nation, kind of where we are. There are a lot of municipalities that have uh, ranked choice voting, but uh, Maine is the only state that has it statewide. I recommend the webinar uh, if people are interested in learning more. Also, um, the comedian Ron Placone made a video uh, for us uh, that is on his um, YouTube channel that's called uh, Ranked Choice Voting Explained in Under Two Minutes. And he basically addresses the, the uh, claim that people make, well, ranked choice voting is just really confusing by saying, yeah, so confusing, like you've never gone in a restaurant, looked at the menu and said, well, I really want the lobster roll, but if they're out of that, my second choice is, and so forth. He also has a very interesting take on gerrymandering that I, you know, you might enjoy, David. So we're just trying to realize that the education effort around RCV is part of our what we, our campaign needs to accomplish, and you know we need to approach it in many different ways and just keep at it right up until voting day. 
Well, down here in Virginia, we do have a, on the ballot a way to vote to start ending gerrymandering, but we don't have ranked choice voting. Uh, and so I'm stuck with uh, either you vote for the horrible Republican who you agree with on virtually nothing, or you vote for the uninspiring, milquetoast Democrat who's against Medicare for all, against a Green New Deal, against free college, against demilitarization, etc. And if I had Lisa Savage on the ballot, if I had ranked choice voting, if I had the chance to vote for someone I really care about, then I could either not stay home and turn out and put Lisa Savage first and the Democrats second, or I could, or if I were, the, the, you know, planning to go with a clothespin on my nose and vote for that Democrat, I could put them second, put Lisa Savage first, and, and not be accused of spoiling anything, not hurt them in any way, seems like something that, uh, that would make a tremendous difference in about 50 of the 50 states. It sure would. The entrenched corporate parties don't like it for that exact reason, because it uh, strengthens the possibility that an independent like myself can uh, actually win an election. Uh, one aspect of ranked choice voting that many people like is that even if they don't think I can win, which I think they're wrong, I think I can win, but they would say, my first ranking for Lisa shows that I want Medicare for all, I want a Green New Deal, and then, my, you know, so when the Democrat wins, as they're predicting would happen, that elected official knows, oh, a lot of voters indicated strong support for these progressive um, you know, uh, platforms, these um, programs. It's amazing to me, David, in a pandemic, I am the only candidate in this race who favors Medicare for all or any form of single-payer universal health care. Absolutely incredible. Uh, we're speaking with Lisa Savage, candidate for U.S. Senate in Maine. Check out her website. Uh, Lisa, I almost uh, never talk with electoral candidates about anything other than their platforms because the rest of it seems to me such a distraction from the platforms. And here we've talked about ranked choice voting uh, thus far because it's so uh, important. Uh, but let's talk about what you're, what you're running on, what you're committing to do for Maine and the United States and the world if elected to the U.S. Senate? Sure, thanks for that question. Well, Medicare for All is at the top of the list because we're in the middle of a public health crisis. It's been badly mismanaged by our federal government. Um, school has started in the midst of still, you know, health chaos. And um, the majority of people in Maine, the majority of people across the country understand now, even if they didn't before the pandemic, that universal single-payer single health care is imperative all the other wealthy nations have it. Many non-wealthy nations have it. Most nations got it after World War II. We're still dragging our feet and allowing profiteers to commodify health care um, in a way that's been very bad for health outcomes, even aside from the pandemic. Our um, you know, metrics like maternal mortality, infant mortality are terrible for the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And it's mostly because so much uh, spending on health care is siphoned off by profiteers at insurance companies. Health insurance CEOs make $20 million a year. Um, we One of our webinars was also on Medicare for All. We had uh, Dr. Margaret Flowers, who's been organizing for single payer for years uh, nationwide, and she showed us a chart of healthcare spending of other uh, industrialized nations. The U.S. is outspending all of them, and her comment was, the U.S. is already paying for uh, you know national healthcare. We're just not getting it. 
Absolutely right. Uh, And it would be wonderful to have you in the Senate pushing for it together with some other senators. I I think we would have to get rid of the the Mitch McConnell veto, the filibuster, and the Joe Biden veto. Uh, He's promised to veto this if passed. Uh, We would have to build enough momentum to not just pass it, but, uh, but make it become law, right? Right. And David, I know that you know what when I say the inside-outside game, it's my hope that if I um, can get into the Senate and work with other progressives there, that the outside pressure from people, the people demanding Medicare for all, demanding universal health care, uh, will be there so that the on the inside we can, you know, move the gears to get that done. I'm very good at collaborating and cooperating. I'm not going to sell out to any corporations. I have accepted no corporate uh, lobbyist money or, you know, money from those PACs that launder corporate money and so candidates can claim they're not taking it while they still do. Um, we have done well with grassroots fundraising, um, but you know, the tens of millions of dollars being spent to elevate the other uh, uh, party candidates is we can't compete with that. But on the other hand, I don't have any experience taking money from corporate lobbyists and then writing laws that favor their profits over the needs of the people. I aspire to go to the Senate as a voice of working people in Maine. I've worked as a school teacher in the public schools for 25 years, and prior to that, I uh, operated a family business for seven years in central Maine. My husband is a self-employed woodworker. Um, I'm the only non-millionaire in this race. I don't think multimillionaires can understand the needs of working people in Maine. Even before the pandemic, most of the families of the children I worked with in my school were struggling uh, to get by, even if they had work, even if they had a vehicle to get to work. They were one accident or one illness away from the complete collapse of their household economy. And that is what is motivating me, um, you know, to run. So nobody had adequate health care or dental care. I want an expanded and improved Medicare for all. Improved meaning it should cover mental health, dental, vision, hearing, you know, other things that Medicare currently doesn't cover. And the reason that I particularly favor Medicare for All is I feel we're in a healthcare emergency and Medicare for All would be actually rather swift to implement. Every doctor in the um, country already has a Medicare number. You know, most of us that would receive it have social security numbers. It wouldn't be super hard to put in place. It's essentially an insurance scheme, but it's with the government paying the Um, you know, reimbursing the providers. And of course, it puts the government in the position where they can negotiate with uh, big pharma for reasonable uh, prices on on, uh, needed medications rather than letting big pharma just gouge as much as they're able to get away with under the current system. Um, I do hope we have enough time to also talk about the other big, um, you know, policy that I'm uh, very hopeful of implementing is, of course, a response to climate emergency. Here in Maine, we have, for the third day, seen our skies darkened by the smoke from the fires on the West Coast that are just burning out of control. And it's a climate emergency. I've been saying for a couple of years, I think when younger people look at my generation, they say, what part of emergency do you not get about climate emergency? Um, so a demilitarized Green New Deal uh, which was developed by the Green Party, is the um, you know platform that I'm running on. And demilitarized meaning, you know, right now we spend uh, at least, at minimum, 55% of the federal discretionary budget every single year, whether there's an R or a D after the name of the person in the White House, 
on the Pentagon. Much of that is corporate welfare to make very wealthy um, weapons manufacturers even more wealthy. But the big problem for climate is it's terrible for climate. The Pentagon is the biggest polluter of any organization on our planet. They consume more greenhouse gases than, you know, 140 nations, if they were a nation, uh, emit more greenhouse gases. And so uh, stopping building weapon systems is a first win for climate. If you stop building those, the climate improves. Then if instead of using those federal funds to build weapons, you convert to building um, things to mitigate climate change, such as in Maine, we really have no public transportation outside of a couple of cities. We need a light rail system to get us out of our cars, be able to commute to work and school, visit our families. Um, We could be building that. We could be building clean energy systems, solar, wind, thermal, tidal. Um, Not only, so that would be a second win for climate. So you've stopped building polluting weapon systems. You've started building something positive for climate. And then, you know, the other win, of course, is for jobs and the economy. We don't want to throw anyone out of a job. I'm not advocating that anyone lose their job. We want a just transition. And furthermore, um, you know, research by economists uh, has shown time and again that investing a billion dollars in building clean energy systems would generate far more jobs in Maine, thousands more additional good union jobs at the same factory that was formerly building warships uh, for the U.S. Navy. Building weapon systems isn't actually a very good jobs program just in terms of the number of jobs it generates, but all of Maine's congressional reps and senators will always tell you, oh, it's jobs. We can't defund those programs. Well, yes, you can. In fact, they did during the pandemic, and it worked beautifully. There was one factory in Maine that was making those COVID-19 nasal swabs they use for testing. And I guess there were only two factories in the world making them anyway at the beginning of the pandemic. And Maine's uh, elected officials contacted that factory and said, could you double production quickly? And the factory said, we could if we had more of the machines and more space. So they got more space. And then the way I read it in the paper, Senator Angus King called up Bath Ironworks and said, could you build those machines for uh, making the COVID-19 swabs. If we, we've got money under the Defense Production Act, you know, we're ready to roll with it. Of course, when you dangle federal funding at a, you know, a factory and say, we need you to build something for us, of course they did. And they, within mm, four or five weeks, they had delivered the machines. So conversion has already happened. They turned on a dime. It's quite, quite doable wonderful platform uh, to be running on and very striking in the in the debate that you did recently Lisa Savage with the other candidates for US Senate from Maine which people can find the video on on C-SPAN and elsewhere I'm sure on your website uh, and and I was struck by not only you pointing out that you were the only non-millionaire on the stage but but uh, that the other people really didn't seem to grasp that there were any emergencies and it and it seemed pretty clear that they were paid not to uh that that when you are uh working in the interests uh, of huge financial uh institutions uh be they weapons makers oil companies uh uh medical profiteers uh you you don't recognize what you're paid 
not to recognize. Uh, so I, I don't know, is it a question of, of generations or is it a question of, of corruption? I think it's a question of money and politics. Um, I was not the oldest, oldest person on the debate stage, nor was I the youngest. Um, but corporate government isn't going to solve our problems and, and hasn't solved our problems because when corporations uh, buy candidates and put them in office, uh, those candidates aren't going to attack the very ways in which the corporations profit. So they're going to say a lot of platitudes and you know, um, not actually take action. Um, I don't accept donations from corporate donors, so I would enter the U.S. Senate as someone who was free of that kind of influence and able to speak honestly about what we need to do. Um, I have held elected office before, but as a union official, I was a, a negotiator for my local bargaining unit of the teachers' union for several years, and it's uh, been interesting to me how similar the jobs are in a way. I think, you know, I'm a spokesperson. There are hundreds of people waging this campaign, and I'm the, you know, the front person, but when I was a negotiator, same thing. Um, you know, hundreds of people were counting on me to uh, represent their, to know what their priorities were and to speak with fidelity to their values and their needs and um, then to communicate back to them about where we are in the process and, you know, what they can do to help. Again, the inside-outside game. The American people are going to have to get really serious about pressuring Congress and the White House, which is full of multimillionaires, about, you know, I, I think they should withhold their labor. It's it's that that's their big bargaining point is to say, well, your wealth comes from our labor. What if we withheld our labor until you pass uh, universal health care that we need? Excellent idea. Look forward to following through on it. I, Lisa, I've been asking candidates uh, and seeking out candidates for years and years and years, trying to find anyone running for federal office in the United States now or in the past, uh, President, Senate, Congress who would propose a basic budget, a pie chart, a list, you know, I would like very roughly within a couple hundred of billions of dollars for this much to go to education, this much to go to military, this much to go uh, to each section of the government. And with the exception of people who worked on the Jesse Jackson for president campaign who claim that he did this, uh, but can't seem to find a copy of it anymore to show me, uh, I haven't found, you know, mainstream Republican, Democrat, Green, third party, independent, any Congress member, any senator, any president uh, from the beginning of this country to this day who's done that. Uh, so my, my question to you is, will you be the first? Will you, will you put out an approximate proposal for what the federal budget ought to look like? Yes, I will. Uh, I love your reference to the pie chart. For years, I've been using the National Priorities Project um, number crunching on the federal budget is super useful. It's nonpartisan. They show what the actual budget is or what a proposed budget is, and they put it in terms of pie chart. Of course, uh, that's a helpful approach because if you don't know what the total number is going to be, then uh, you know saying actual budget figures is a little bit meaningless. But if you just say X is going to be total federal spending that year, and, and here's the pie chart of how I would allocate that, um, that pie chart now shows about 55% goes to the Pentagon, um, and that a lot of that is corporate welfare. But uh, that is an artificially low figure because actually nuclear weapons, including development and building, um, are in the Energy Department budget, 
And then the VA has its own budget line. I think it's around 6%. I'm not in any way um, uh, in favor of cutting the VA. I think the VA should be fully funded. We need to stop privatizing something that's working, which is the, you know, most veterans love their VA health care. And, um, but also all that black ops, CIA, military adventures everywhere, that doesn't even show up in the budget because it's, you know, too secret. Right. Um, so re- a realistic slice of the pie for our m- combined military adventures would be something like 70%. I mean, do you run your household budget? Do you and your wife spend 70% on security in a year? That's ridiculous. It's unsustainable. It's also bad for the climate. It also makes us less secure, so I hesitate to call it security. But uh, Lisa Savage, we have just a few minutes left. Uh, What's the campaign going to look like? Are there going to be more debates? Uh, How are those debates going to be run? How is the corporate media and how is the independent media treating uh, your campaign and the different campaigns? Is it is it fair? Is it is it substantive? Uh, And what is the what are the advertising budgets of the different campaigns doing to shape this race? Well, there's been a barrage of negative attacks. Um, longest mud season ever is my joke about it here in Maine. And um, the, the debate moderator on, on the first debate on September 11th referred to it as it's just wallpaper at this point because it's just everywhere. And under right choice voting, that kind of negative attacking your opponent constantly, uh, it's, it's not a good strategy because you don't want to alienate supporters of other candidates because you'd like their number two number three rankings, but that's a strategy the Dems and Republicans have gone with. Um, we have, an, we're starting to advertise. We've raised about $130,000 from grassroots supporters. We have more than 1,000 donors you know, over the course of a year, and we're starting to do some radio, some TV, and we've been doing digital print, you know, online uh, digital for a while. But we will continue participating in debates. There are at least three more that we've been invited to. The next one is on Monday, September 28th, in Presque Isle. That is kind of uh, Senator Collins' uh, home territory. It's, I believe, uh, it's sponsored by the, an NBC affiliate up there. The format will be very similar to the uh, debate that we were in um, in Portland at that NBC affiliate. So uh, stay tuned for that. Since the debate happened, we have had an outpouring of donations, volunteers, support, and very positive media. In the last week, we had 50 different media mentions of significance in a week. That's ramped up quite a bit. And people have stopped ignoring us, except for the pollsters. The pollsters are still asking people, who would you vote for? They don't even mention ranked choice voting, and they only mention the Democrat and the Republican. So we're kind of stepping up the pressure on papers who report those polls or media outlets saying, this is actually malfeasance. In a ranked choice voting election, you are doing voters a disservice by pretending that this is a first-past-the-post two-candidate race, because it isn't. But yes, we're getting much more positive um, treatment from mainstream media, and alternative media has been good to us all along. Um, They've carried our stories for months now, and that's ramped up quite a bit. I'm doing an Ask Me Anything on Reddit today on the Way of the Burn subreddit. That's the second time they've invited us to, uh, you know, field questions from their readers. And um, just a lot going on right now, David. So thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on, and that uh, that reference to Reddit is the day we recorded this, not the day you're hearing it. Uh, Lisa, with just a few seconds left, what's your website address? 
Lisa Four, spelled out F O R, Maine, M A I N E, dot org. Lisa Four, Maine, dot org. Lisa Savage is candidate for the U.S. Senate in Maine. Check out her platform, check out her information on ranked choice voting and how it works. Uh, get it going in your state. If it isn't, uh, a number of states can vote for it this year. Lisa Savage, thank you for everything you've been doing and thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. I've long admired your work, and I was proud to be uh, interviewed today, so thank you. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.